This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. All right, there it is. We hit record. What's up, people? We have an awesome show today. The guest is really cool guy. Um, we were just having a lot of fun chatting. I almost didn't hit record. We almost just had like half of a show without even talking. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's an artist, a photographer. And I love this quote. He has relentless. He's relentless in the pursuit of furthering education as well as technical perfection. Isn't that, isn't that just the best? Uh, EO Boston member, co-founder of Lightshed Photography Studio, Dan St. John. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. How are you? Yeah, man. It's good to see you. Oh, it's good to be here. Good to be awake. <laughs> I know, right? We just compared uh, Caffeine Notes. What was that? Was it Wandering Bear you were mentioning earlier? Yeah, Wandering Bear, man. It's a couple boxes sticking in our fridge. That'll, that'll do it for you. <laughs> um, you know, wh- whenever there's a uh, chance to share a caffeine tip, we just yep. got to put it out there because we're all riding that wave. <laughs> the yeah, I feel like that's very in step with what we all need in our lives. <laughs> 100%. So, so hey, man, uh, I'm glad to have you here. I can't wait to learn from you. So I want to just pass the baton to you and, and ask you that question we always start with, which is what is a common misconception, a myth, a bogus strategy around being a leader or being an entrepreneur running a business? Uh, the real issue, at least from talking with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years is this concept, this idea that somebody actually knows what they're doing and has all the answers. Um, it's easy as you fail over and over again to get caught in this trap of, oh, well, if I was just Jimmy down the street, or if I was business owner B down the street, I wouldn't have made that mistake. I wouldn't have had that issue. Um, I would have sold that job. Pick an instance, pick a problem. Um, and people just beat themselves up over it. I certainly did over the course of the last 10 years in business, everything that did come off the cuff in absolute perfection. Um, I just kind of berated myself in private quietly saying, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have messed that up. And I guess that's kind of the issue, but it's so common that there's actually a term for it and it's called imposter syndrome. Uh, people struggle with this, uh, everybody from mom and pop shop owners to CEOs. A quick Google search uh, would tell you that folks like Tom Hanks, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, CEO of Facebook, Howard Schultz, former CEO of Starbucks, Lady Gaga, Barbara Corcoran, all these people have uh, suffered with this idea that they're frauds, that it's really just a matter of time before people figure out that they're just kind of winging it, Uh, mainly because that's kind of the name of the game. You go into business and you, uh, despite how you want to dress up the terminology, you start throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks. And it's easy to think like, oh, well, there must be somebody that doesn't do it this way. Somebody must have shown up to the game ready to play and <laughs> doesn't, doesn't miss a beat, doesn't mess up at all. And it's just simply not true. We're all, we're all trying to figure out, you know, where we're going and how the heck we're going to get there. Yeah, hundred percent. We're all kind of just winging it. So, so is there anyone not winging it? Is there anyone that is not, you know, an imposter? I mean, we're all kind of imposters. We're all kind of imperfect. So yeah. where, where does this thought process come from? How come we all can fall in this trap? Any ideas? Uh, you know, I, again, looking back at research, <laughs> we're all doing internet research these days. Um, there seem to be certain personality types that fall victim to it. You know, uh, you've got perfectionists, you've got, uh, people that are quote unquote, natural geniuses, experts, people that feel they got to be the superhero. They're all categorically listed as folks that fall, uh, or are susceptible to this type of thing. I know for me personally, um, uh, I am kind of a perfectionist. I frequently let 
uh, good be the enemy of perfect. And I don't want to let anything out the door unless it's absolutely hundred percent ready to go. But, uh, I discovered that you can spend five minutes getting it to 95% and another five years trying to get at that last 5%, um, to get all the way. And it's just not conducive to doing business. Uh, again, for me personally, growing up, my parents praised me. Uh, they always said, oh, you're going to do great things. You're going to go run a business. You're going to go do X, Y, Z. And I believe them because it's really great to, to believe that you're going to do great things without actually giving any thought as to how you're going to accomplish great things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the issue with that is that, uh, I started to want to only try things that I got praised for. And I'm not blaming my parents. They were, they were fantastic. But of course, when you're a kid and you're praised for doing things well, you want to continue to do things that are well, so you can continue to get the praise. The trap you fall into, um, is you start to demand that perfection. And because things at least that you're good at come e easily to you, you don't want to put any effort into anything that isn't easy. You just, if you can't do it right off the cuff, then it's not even worth doing at that point. And, uh, that leads you down a slippery slope because nothing gets done. You know, you can't, uh, well, what is it? You can't steer a parked car. So if you look at something long enough and say, oh, I'm going to get going, I'm going to get going. But the fear of failing prevents you from doing that. Uh, you've already failed. Yeah, man, so many good things in here. You mentioned this interesting phrase around, was it five minutes to get to a certain percent? What was that? Well, I discovered that, and I, as I'm sure most people do, you could spend a little bit of time getting something to be really good. And then you can spend the rest of your life trying to make it perfect. And that extra time spent trying to perfect something is the time when you could be growing your business. You could be moving forward. And if you just stuck spinning your wheels, cause you're too afraid to get going. Cause I think it really boils down to fear or concern that you might fail at it. it again, you never get started and you get stuck in what EO uh, refers to as the Valley of death. You know, I want to grow my business. I want to grow my business, but I'm not, I'm spinning my wheels. You know, there's no traction. Valley of death. Yeah. Um, it was such really a positive terms this morning. Uh, Hey, good morning. <laughs> it's the morning show with Casey and Dan. Welcome to the Valley of death. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So true though. Like if, if five minutes can get you to a certain point, but five years gets you to that next point, uh, is it ever worth doing that extra 5%? I think it's worth striving for it. You know, you strive I, to, you strive to get a, a little bit better every single time, but, um, I would like to think that all of us come to the conclusion that we have to, you know, let whatever it is out the door, whether it's a sales pitch, whether it's a business idea, a concept, at some point you have to test it, um, it because you'll just go out of business. You'll, you'll become one of those statistics of people that tried fail in five years, 10 years, whatever it may be, if you never actually pull the trigger. Yeah. You know, I felt this way about blog writing, you know, or like doing thought leadership. I remember a couple of years ago needing to write these things and I can, you know, it's like, I think that's also the, the trap too. If you can't do it, then at least you, it, you don't have the, the syndrome as much. The perfectionism doesn't kick in. You're like, well, I kind of suck at this. So, eh, you know, it's not so, <laughs> yeah. I think it's the illusion either that you are good at it, or if you are good at it, then you're like, oh, I know I can make this perfect. Yep. With time, right? Given five years, like just more time, more time. Yeah. <laughs> I just need more time, don't we all? Yeah, and but then you know that blog write, writing, one you either do it, and then twelve people see it on LinkedIn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, and then or you or you get to like two paragraphs in, but then you don't have time, or you to your point, or just something gets in the way. It's not perfect, and yep. and so you never get it out. So exactly. I mean, how many unwritten blog posts? How many unwritten? you know, thought leadership pieces do we have? And, you know, for me, the medium was the switch to podcasting because I could be imperfect 
in conversation. Like you and I, we can sort of hash something out and we can have ums, we can have impartial thoughts and interrupt each other. But, but I think together it t- turns into this cohesive thing that it works in the end. Yep. And I, I think you have to be kind of okay with that. The people that have really inspired me in business are those that keep trying things. And uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was going from failure to failure without any lack of enthusiasm. And it's true. You know, you, okay, let's give this a shot. All right. That didn't work. What didn't work about it? Being truly brutally honest with yourself and being okay with that process, uh, I think helps us move forward and starts to maybe it'll never remove the notion that somebody out there is just killing it 10 times better than you because likely there is, <laughs> but, uh, remove the notion that somebody out there always has the answer before the questions even posed. Right. So it may not have the answer and half the battle right. is just finding being okay with that, <laughs> be okay with that and learn, learn, go look for it for sure. Do you, do you have any tips or tricks around how you've handled this or I mean, any kind of recommendations of how, if you find yourself getting into the valley, you know, how do you stack <laughs> yourself out of it? Really? It's conversations with other business owners. Cause everybody I talk to can talk about the issues they've faced. And you realize that everybody faces a lot of the same ones. Um, and that when they tried it, when they tackled it, they didn't have a surefire plan. Nobody did. Um, so hearing that they simply had a problem, they didn't know how to solve and that they tried to solve it is really motivation enough. Um, unfortunately, part of that perfectionist thing. And one of those personality traits that seems to go so well with imposter syndrome is this idea of being a soloist, that you should believe you can do everything solo. And if you can't do it solo, you're unworthy to do it. So in your head, you build up this thing of, okay, I don't need to ask for help because if I ask for help, I have to admit that I don't know what I'm doing, which feeds back into, I don't know what I'm doing and I can't do it. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's this self-defeating cycle. Um, and I think really no man is an island type style. You really need to stay in contact with other entrepreneurs or just, you know, if you're not in business, other people in your life and uh, just start to normalize this concept of maybe not failure, but learning and being okay with that. Yeah. I love that. No man is an island. Tired to himself. <laughs> I'm just going to keep spitting one-liners out. What's this? Keep <laughs> quoting it. It's John Dunn coming at you, folks. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you've hit on another uh, interesting challenge. Um, the idea of feeling like you need to know everything. And I think from what I've seen, the best of our community of the entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders, you've heard that phrase of, you know, wanting to not be the smartest person in the room, you know, and surround yourself with experts, but that's not easy because if you're, if you're the caveman, uh, in the, in the room, unless, unless you're really confident about yourself and why you're there, you know, that can be intimidating, like to not just feel like the, the class clown. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you, you have to put yourself in those situations. I mean, that's where all the growth exists. Anybody in business or life 101 will tell you, you got to get uncomfortable. Um, but it's very hard to distinguish, as you said, that feeling of un- uncomfortable with should I be here? You know, you, you get this idea of, should I be here? Am I, am I worthy to be in this room because everybody is smarter than me? Um, but unless you force yourself to sit in that room long enough to learn something, you never leave it, you know? And, uh, yeah, it just kicks your butt mentally. How, how do you answer that question? Should I be here? Uh, but <laughs> you fake it till you make it. It's like, yeah, yes, I should. The fact I, in my head, I reassure myself with, if you're asking yourself that question, you've already proved that you should be here. You know, you are actually concerned as to whether or not you, you have what it takes to do this. And part of that's good because it pushes you to keep achieving things. Um, as long as you don't succumb to, um, those feelings of self-doubt, which I think are pretty common with most folks. It's just a matter of what gets talked about. 
right? Should I be here? Am I providing value to this meeting? Yep. Maybe the fact that you just assembled Voltron, you just brought all the forces together <laughs> yep. is the sheer fact of why you're here. It's just because you knew that you needed to assemble these people. Maybe they didn't all know that they should all be yep. in the same room, you know? Yep. Recognizing the value that you bring um, and being okay with that, even if it's not some um, aggrandized value that you see way up here, <laughs> you say, no, I'm, I'm right here. I'm working on that, which again, yeah. as we talked about, is a lifelong process. So, you know, I, I keep thinking about Joe Rogan interviewing, like, it's really smart. Like he'll interview a fighter, but then he'll also interview like some biophysicist or, you know, MIT researcher and that caveman thing. I mentioned the word caveman earlier. I don't know. I found that it's been really helpful to just say like, I'm a caveman. You're all modern civilization. So, it, but just like putting it out there has, I don't know, it's been helpful for me. And and he does it. And then people are like, no, 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 you're not a caveman. You're very smart. Well, you are after you've been around all these people over and over yep. and over again, um, subjected yourself to learning from them. Uh, yes. But I see something about that, that humility to say that I don't know everything, but then there's somehow there's that inner confidence or insanity to just still ride that ride with uh, all the experts in the room. I think that confidence comes from the humility, you know, a mm. try, going into it, trying to be a genius, trying to be perfect is the exact opposite of humility. You're telling yourself you already know all there is to know. And it's not until you have a little humility and you realize how little you know and how comfortable you can get with that humility. That that's where the opportunity to actually learn comes in. And for me, it took years to learn that. I, I didn't want to ask for help. I wanted to prove to everyone that I could do this. I proved to some unknown person, I don't know, my parents, my peers, that I was worthy of running and owning this business. Um, but you're right. You meet enough people and you see their humility and you kind of embrace it and say, no, I don't really know anything. And once you're truly comfortable with that, you stop worrying about the mistakes. You stop freaking out about things that don't work because you inherently understand that it's just part of the process. I love that, man. I what a, what a moment, I, as you're describing that, the confidence comes from the humility. Maybe you're the most self-aware person in the room. No one else. Maybe I just think about myself too much. I don't know. <laughs> I know, but like maybe no one else has figured out that they don't know anything, but you're the first person to reach the, the, the base that says, oh yeah, I'm the first person in this room that realizes they don't know anything. So <laughs> you all can catch up to me. Then we go. Is, is it an accomplishment? I think it's an accomplishment. We're going to call it an accomplishment. Yes. It's, it's self-actualization. It's at the top of yes. the, uh, the pyramid Maslow, right? Yep. <laughs> you got it, man. Um, confidence comes from humility, man. They're, they're, you're just dropping quotes left and right today. <laughs> That's up on the, the quote side of the bed today. Yeah. I'm here to entertain and inspire. Another one. <laughs> I'm here to. Inter- should I continue? No, the going to wear off eventually. I should just quit while I'm on top. Right now, the producer's like, "Oh, that was a good one. Oh no, no, that was a good one. Oh no." Oh, <laughs> you just got to pick a tagline. That's all you need. Just, just pick one, man. Just pick one. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to the production team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that that was interesting. You when you talked about how conversations with other business owners helps, and one of the questions we often ask on this show to different, you know, business leaders is, Hey, it can be isolating at the top. And we know that it can be from what we just talked about that wanting to be the one that knows a lot or really just can't always share things at every different level in the company. And so it can be kind of isolating how, what kind of resources or communities do you look to, to ask those questions of other people? Uh, well, when I started out in business, first it was the chamber of commerce. Uh, then it was business network international or BNI. Uh, where I met some of our fellow EOers in Boston um, and then eventually moved to EO. But 
it's that community that kind of pulled me through. It was, you know, it was those conversations. It was online forums. I'm part of a number of photography groups on Facebook where I just see people bouncing ideas off of each other in that kind of mastermind set of, well, I'll learn from seven other people's mistakes. So at least if I can avoid those seven, I'll have more energy to tackle the other 500 that come my way, you know? It's true. Yep. It's true. That collective experience, especially, yeah, I love what EO does when we, we share stories, you know, um, some folks used to share a, a list of, you know, here's the eight things I do to avoid not, you know, doing this with an employee or whatever the, you know, business case was. And then you may not remember those, yep. but when they share the story about how this happened and this, and they, and, you know, and there's this whole dramatic story that you learn from that and those stories stick with you. Um, and it's almost like you add them to your wisdom backpack. You didn't yourself experience it, but yep. by just by picturing their story as they told it, it's almost like you were a part of it as well. Yeah. It sort of validates your experience because as you said, you know, when you're at the top, so to speak, or maybe you're running your business, there isn't a boss. There isn't somebody above you that can tell you whether or not what you did was a good idea, whether there was any success in it. It's all kind of to be determined in this really weird gray area. So you need that validation from somewhere to know if you're even remotely in the ballpark, hearing those stories from other people almost immediately does that. Like, oh, you did the, you had the exact same problem I did and you didn't figure it out in five seconds in that little aha moment, you know, kind of hits, which is nice. You know, and to your, your point as well, I, I had a forum meeting, um, in EO, just it's, for those who are not in EO, it's a small group, um, bound by confidentiality, but you all share experiences. You're not telling each other what to do in these situations. It's somebody had an, an HR issue and sometimes those can be the most painful ones. And everyone went around the room and just shared like, yeah, you know, we've been there. And really the only thing to do in that particular situation was like, move on. Um, but it's hard for the person at the time, but just hearing collectively around the circle of people just hearing, I've been there and it hurts and you'll get through this. That, that was enough. Just you know, even if there wasn't an answer, just knowing that other people have been through it, you know, made all the difference. Yeah. That solidarity <laughs> with other people that feel just as lost. <laughs> you, you need that. Absolutely. So I got to ask you, you, you are connected to the mainframe here, the, the mainframe of life. I'll, I'll say, uh, <laughs> yep. uh, what kind of things do you see in the future? What kind of changes are coming around the corner? What's got you excited about the future? I'm actually excited to see. Uh, not that it's some huge competition, but kind of who in business rises to the top because with technology now you're, everybody's a little bit more isolated. Zoom fortunately has allowed us to talk like this and it's become very popular where you can have a face-to-face -face conversation. But a lot of those soft skills I feel like are just falling off the map. You know, I did a lot of bartending and waiting tables as we built the business, as did my wife. And you kind of learn things that face-to-face -face interactions that I feel like is sort of lacking as time goes on. I, I, I'm really excited to see the I guess the fob leaders, if that's the term I'm looking for that show up, that try to convince us all to reconnect with others, similar to the bane of the conversation we're already having, um, and keep just being human with one another because everything, even emails are becoming text messages. Everything keeps getting shortened and turned into sound bites. So I'm really excited to see who breaks that, you know, who, who convinces us that that's maybe not the best way to go because limiting that human interaction just kind of muddles everything. You know, you try to. We've all gotten that email, that five word email, that's very vague. It either expresses extreme pleasure or extreme anger. It's something that happened and you can't get that. You, you can't take that away. Like you could a regular human experience, a conversation like we're having. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, one of my pet peeves is when we abbreviate, thank you. 
right? So it was thank you, thanks, and now it's T-Y. like T H. Okay, T H X or T H X, right? Or thanks. That's three, and then you're right. Yeah, T Y. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, and so one of the things I just personally have done is decided that like, if I'm actually thankful, I'm going to write it out. I'm literally going to write out. Thank you. Um, and of course that makes me a little bit uh, irksome with like anyone saying, thanks. I'm, I feel like I need to lecture them, you know, but yeah. for me personally, I just, if I, if I care enough that I I'm thankful, I'm going to write out the full thing. But I was going to mention that. Uh, do you have um Google? Are you on like Google apps or? you and outlook that Mike. uh i use gmail through gmail. Like superhuman yep for email but i don't really use a lot of their apps only because i haven't had a lot of uh team collaboration where we've needed to i imagine larger it companies and other places need to have you know large groups of remote folks working together but for us we're a team of team of four right now it's at our studio so we don't have to worry about it totally hear that i want to ask you about superhuman but real quick on the on the gmail it, it's even finishing our emails for us right yeah. um can't wait to connect with you again right or yeah, give you suggestions uh, yes yeah, so you know if you, you have any questions oh yep. yeah i guess that's what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah i uh i saw a meme some time ago that said people that do these use these crazy abbreviations what do they do with all their free time <laughs> just uh, kind of drove it home for me it's like oh i just saved seven keystrokes i'm gonna go solve world hunger i'll be right back you know more efficient more effective uh but yeah. that superhuman app i keep getting the ads for it love it like it, hate it. Oh, worth it. I, I absolutely love it because it saves you those keystrokes. Um, superhuman does in fact, at least by my estimation, kind of really make it, make you superhuman when it comes to emails. I had hundreds and hundreds of backed up stuff in my inbox for years. And I saw an ad that said, we'll get you to what they refer to as inbox zero inside a week or two. Um, and it seemed like BS. I said, there's no way I've sat on this forever. And it was really just a mindset, the, the way the, uh, the way the app works gets you to treat it in such a way that does in fact get you there, which kind of blew my mind. As somebody who likes to label and list and organize, it kind of got me away from that a little bit. Just got it done, which is impressive for somebody like me. <laughs> it seemed, it seemed too magical, which is why I haven't done it yet. So it's the feedback for the marketing team. It just seems too good to be true, which makes me go like, oh, another Instagram ad trying to trick Casey. Um, but <laughs> what is it, what is it doing? Uh, it's, it's really forcing you to address an email as it's either done or it's not, and it's not actually trashing anything. It's just archiving. It's just like the regular Gmail feature, which to me is what makes it so amazing. It's really made a few minor mental tweaks in how you would address things. And it's provided a, a butt ton of, um, you know, keyboard shortcuts to help you move through stuff, systematically organize what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Uh, but in that is kind of the magic sauce, you know, it's like, all right, put this over here. It needs to get done. Remind me about this next week. I'll get it done then. And it gets taken care of, at least for me. I can't guarantee that would work for every personality type, but for the few of us at the studio, we found it really helpful. Man, okay. That's all I needed, right? So that's <laughs> all everyone needs. Give it a shot at some point. Let me know. This podcast sponsored by Superhuman. That's good to say. Where's that money that they promised me? <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's great. It's great. We're looking for our t-shirts, guys. Send yep. them this way. Uh, <laughs> cool, man. That's really helpful. I'm definitely going to check that check that one out. It's cool to, uh, again, this is what we are talking about, learning from each other. And it's okay to not be the smartest person. Somebody may have a nugget. You've experienced something. You're sharing it with me. I'm experiencing something with you. That's, that's how this works. Yep. Yeah. Another thing, um, we, you had talked about communities. I wouldn't really call this a community, but how I built this, uh, the podcast is really entertaining to listen to because it, it's all business owners and exactly like the name implies, it's how they built their businesses. 
and you hear things like, um, they did the guys that started Airbnb years ago and they had the baseball card binder that you had as a kid, if you collected cards, except they put credit cards in it. Every time they maxed one out, they slipped it in and they had a binder full of these maxed out credit cards because venture capitalists were just laughing them out of the room. They said, yeah, we want to, uh, we want to start a business where you invite strangers to come and stay at your house. And for understandable reasons before it was proven, they thought it was hilarious. So VCs just kept laughing them out and they said, okay, we'll finance it by credit cards. And when they had the binder full, it said, we're either going to fail spectacularly, or we're going to succeed at this thing. And that goes back to what I talked about needing to hear. You need to hear that other people said, okay, hell or high water. <laughs> we could have figured this out. Man. Talk about burning the ships though. Yeah. I, I could perfectly picture that. I had the baseball cards in that binder and instead slipping in credit cards. Yeah. And I just imagine 10,000 maxed out, 10,000 maxed out, 20,000. Like even just thinking about it, I feel like I'm going to start to sweat. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we know they, yeah. they did it. Mm -hmm. And they're not company cards. We know that's tied to them personally at some point. Yep. Yeah. That's going to bury them, bury them personally. You're right. For life. Yeah. Yep. And then a little bit of that justice with those BC folks. It's almost like the person, you know, was it like 16 people read Harry Potter before someone decided to publish it? You know, yeah. <laughs> yep. who doesn't read that and go, I mean, we got something here, you know, yep. like, yeah. And before it's proven, it's amazing to see what, you know, stuff that gets turned down. Um, but again, you, you feel that, uh, that level of commitment, you know, on wavering to one particular idea is perfect. It's exactly what people like us need to hear. Absolutely. Well, my next question is who are you? Who, who is Dan? Can you take me back in time to like little Dan growing up? Did you know you're going to be running a company, founding things, you know, all these, all these pursuits that you had, did, do you have a, an inkling that that was going to happen? I'm just an imposter. So I'm just, yeah, right. <laughs> doing my thing. Um, no, I, I drew up, I drew up, I grew up being in a, able to draw very well. Um, so I always had the ability, uh, at least with a pencil or a pen to kind of create cool things. And my parents, God bless them, supported that because I know a lot of folks that would look at a kid who wanted to be an artist and not laugh it off the face of the earth, but kind of dissuade them and say, no, no, you want to have a real career. So they, um, they encouraged that. They said, you're going to do great things. You're going to do amazing art related stuff. And it was a lot easier to believe the hype than it was to actually consider what exactly it is I'm going to do with my life. So, uh, at 18, I found myself applying to art schools. Um, discovering in a more of a harsh way when RISD sent me a rejection letter that, you know, people telling you that you're, <laughs> you're going to go out and do Ooh, things yeah. isn't, isn't exactly how the real world works. But once I showed up in art school, I realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to draw. I didn't want to be a, an illustrator. And I already kind of do that. It's just that being good at art led me there. And I said, well, I need to make something work out of this. Um, I had a friend who was in photography who actually, uh, co-founded the studio with us, um, that convinced me to try photography. And I realized in a very lazy way that pushing a button produced an image a lot faster than writing or <laughs> drawing did. Yeah. And I kind of, I fell into that and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I was told by so many professors, uh, in my fine arts education that I didn't belong there and they were probably right because a lot of my art as it were, uh, was one liners, you know, they were simple things. I love comedy. I love things that make me laugh. And I, I skewed a lot of my work to that angle, but they took it as me not taking it seriously. Um, which was funny because it feeds into that imposter syndrome. You know, I'm there, I'm, I'm getting my BFA in photography and I'm being told, are you sure? I, <laughs> I had one professor tell me I didn't take criticism very well and left me nowhere to go because <laughs> you can't, you can't refute that. It's like, listen, you don't take, you don't take criticism very well, but I don't think this is for you. <laughs> I'm like, I can't say no. And I can't say yes. You've kind of pigeonholed me. <laughs> You're right. That's you can't, how you respond to that. You don't take criticism. You can't. I, you, yes. could, you could say bananas. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that's an example of you not taking it well. 
<laughs> yep. You, you can just literally pick something else entirely, pick a noun, just go in that direction. Um, but yeah, I got out of art school. Uh, my buddy and I at the time, uh, the gentleman that helped co-found this, we used to joke that we would have a couple beers and talk about our photography studio that we were going to open. And we knew we were serious about it when we started talking about it sober. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we must actually mean we want to do this. Um, so we got out of school and we just started. We didn't, um, we didn't intern for anybody. We just literally got a commercial space, you know, started immediately, uh, alongside the bartending and the waiting tables. We said, we're just going to start a business, which again, feed into the imposter syndrome because I'm telling people that I'm pouring their drinks to at the restaurant that, oh yeah, I own a photography studio. And like every other struggling actor in California, oh yeah, you're, you're an actor, right? Why are you, why are you giving right. me a brisket right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can you, yeah. can you give me another Bud Light? Thanks. Thanks. Yep. That's, that's good. Good, good for you and your dreams. By the way, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Inside we just, mayo, please. <laughs> with, with all the debt we had from, uh, going to college, we kind of bootstrapped the studio because we're like, we're not going to take out more loans. Um, so we getting a commercial space right off the bat was a very important lesson. And if you build it, they won't necessarily come. You, you might assume because you build it, they're going to show up. Uh, but what you might actually end up doing is just paying a lot of money for a space that doesn't get used enough to justify it. However, I will say there is something for throwing yourself into the fire with no backup because you're left with the option to succeed or as with the, um, the binder full of maxed out credit cards fail spectacularly. So I can definitely vouch for that. You know, that's, that does work. Um, if you're of the right mindset, it's just going to hurt a little bit along the way. Right. It kind of makes you want to know about another app that had a binder full of credit cards that didn't work out. You know, we only <laughs> hear about, oh, it would be B who, who wouldn't accept them. Yeah. I, uh, now it's kind of hilarious to think, like you said, those VCs must just be dying. How many sponsors do we have now? We've got. There's my podcast. A sponsor. <laughs> Superhuman's a sponsor. While we're at it, Bang Energy Drink could be a sponsor. I'm sorry, I have nothing to hold up in front of me. Contigo water bottles, these things are fantastic. Sold. But, uh, yeah. Sold. Yeah, they, they are good, but have you ever used one on an airplane? No. What happens? Uh, Thanks. My son opened one up, yep. and the pressure inside the bottle was greater than the pressure outside the bottle. Ooh. And it started squirting water up and over the seat to the person in front of us who had their like IBM laptop open, but of thankfully course. it was bomb proof and, um, just got someone a little wet and they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's when you put the water bottle away. Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Something's leaking. I couldn't tell you. Man, did that come from the sky? <laughs> they do pop out frequently. Like when you, uh, when you open these, the pressure sometimes does shoot it out. And the older one, before we replaced this, when I was in the car, I used to pop it, just turn it to the right. So whoever is in the passenger seat needs to get a little. Oh, did. Oh, so you know about this. You used yeah, it for I'm just, ill gains. Just a dick. <laughs> yeah. That's what it comes down to. Man. So that's, yeah, it's interesting. What do you still draw? Is it like more of a, a fun thing? And then you just didn't want to do it professionally. You know, sadly, I really don't much anymore as a kid. I think it fed into the, I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing this. And I did like it because as a kid, you know, you have all kinds of time to burn. So summer vacation comes around. What are your parents going to have you do for week weeks after weeks? And I used to just, um, yeah, I used to draw all the time just because it was fun as a hobby. But nowadays I feel like when I'm not taking photos, it's just family time, you know, yes, just hang out, sit down, relax. Um, and I thought about getting a Wacom tablet a while ago, cause I thought I could merge, you know, the digital stuff that I really love with drawing, but the idea of spending $2,000 for a monitor that had nothing to do with the business was a real, it's a real drag. 
<laughs> so I haven't pulled that trigger yet. Maybe, maybe later. Get a couple more yeah. clients and reward yourself. You know? Yes, to be continued. Have you experienced that tipping point where, where, where does it, or was it just sort of slow and gradual? You know, you're still bartending, you got the photo studio, but eventually it works. Uh, that's the funny thing about, I think when you're working really hard to make something work, you don't always realize it's working. You're so caught up in how challenging and hard it is or how long it took that you don't realize that you're succeeding. And I, again, let's one liner it, you know, success comes to those that are too busy to, you know, too busy to accept it or even realize it for that matter. Uh, and I, when I first went full-time at the studio, I actually didn't want to. It was my wife who said, you're going to do it. I, I didn't want to cut the cord because I could make good money bartending once or twice a week. And I had asked, I had asked my manager at the time, can I go down to one day? And she basically told me to shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Conversation came down and I said, I love you guys. I've been here for a few years, but uh, eventually I, I made the choice to do it through the pushing of my wife. And it was still the best thing we ever did because I needed to vote devote even more time here, obviously to continue growing the business. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't always feel that way. The fears kind of overtake you of, oh man, if I quit my nine to five, this thing that I said, I'm going to build, I actually have to build it. And if it doesn't, not only do I fail, but <laughs> there goes the mortgage, there goes the, you know, you start to think of the cascading issues that arise from that. And it's, it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. Yeah. There, there's something to that. Like what if don't try don't give a hundred because then if you fail, you're not lacking, right? Exactly. There's that weird thing with that. Yep. It, which again, ties right back into, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you take this chance and you fail, you have to admit that you didn't know it all. And if you haven't gotten to the point where you've already admitted that you don't know it all, that's a very uncomfortable sensation. Yeah. And it, it can hold you back from taking risks and hold you back yep. from tumbling down. In that, it's so true that, that bartending, right? If you, you got some cash in the pocket. It's, it's safe, right? Yeah. But you can see a, how people end up being the, maybe not 80 year old bartender, but like that safe job, they just sort of, Hey, it, I pay the bills. Like it was hard to get out of that. Yeah. You can, at least in that industry, you can make so much more than minimum wage or base entry. How much, positions. how much money at bartender? I mean, I, I would had some days where I walked away with $1,500 in my pocket and that was a day. And I had some days where I, yeah. I had some days where I walked with four or 500 bucks in my pocket. And you kept your that. clothes on. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I didn't have to sell myself. Well, kind of, but not in that sense. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that I could do that and you think that's, that's post-tax because what are you, you're telling the IRS that you're pulling down two thirty-seven an hour and I'm like, oh, this guy's a pain, just let him be, you know? Um, so it was, it was hard to walk away from and it, it really, uh, that immediacy, you know, you're leaving with cash in your wallet. Uh, it does, it makes it, makes it hard to go. I know two guys that I guess are lifers, if you could call them that, but they bartended their entire life. They opened a bar and I'll never forget. I bumped into one after he'd had a couple when we were out and about photographing weddings because we used to do wedding work. And he was talking to the other bartender. When I started to walk away, I heard him say, he figured this out. He, he figured out the bartending. He figured out what it is as opposed to staying in it for your entire life. He, you know, I saw it as a stepping stone. Um, and that just kind of circles back to what you said. It's hard to walk away from that because you think, wow, I could. I could do pretty well here if I don't mind killing myself every day for <laughs> this hamburger and these fries. Right. And opening a bar, thinking of those two guys, a little bit different <laughs> than ma yeah. managing one, right? So, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and they still, they like to bartend there. They still like to be part of the crowd because they enjoy that, you know, yeah. um, but, but you're right. Just because you're, you're good at something doesn't mean you're good at running a business doing that thing. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. 
kind of droned into you over time. <laughs> jeez, jeez. Well, I have a hypothetical question for you. Sure. I may or may not have a time machine uh, up here in Nashville, New Hampshire. It's behind the house, covered in a tarp. But let's say I have one. Uh, you come up here, we get some beers, and you get a chance to go on the time machine. It's a particular kind, though. It goes back in time, and it you get to meet yourself a few days after that BFA, a few days after you graduated school. Uh, and unlike Back to the Future, you get to talk to yourself, and no one's going to die, right? So you get to <laughs> yeah. talk to yourself. What kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of recommendations? What things would you say to yourself? Fail frequently and enthusiastically. Just keep keep doing it. Um, and that, that one piece of advice would be enough to be honest, because that's what I was so scared of this entire time. And I think still to some extent, you know, you devote your, your life or your waking hours to this one thing predominantly. If you fail at that one thing, what does that say about you? And that fear is very strong and will keep you from doing pretty much anything, you know? So I, if I could say that, I, that's, that would probably be it regardless of which direction I went in, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Love that. Fail frequently. Whatever those things are that are holding you back from that, whatever weird strings of success or previous failure, you just have to figure out how to deal with those. Yeah. I mean, not to be a walking cliche, but you will. You'll be upset about the chances you didn't take. That when you, you look back and be like, oh, why didn't I try? Because yeah. then at some point in your life, you realize that trying is step one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow, man. Good stuff. Well, this has been fantastic. Where can people connect with you? What kind of social platforms you want them reaching out and what kind of URLs for your company and yeah, just so throw those out at us. You can find us online at www.likeshedphoto.com, uh, L-I-G-H-T, shed like the thing in your backyard, photo.com, um, like shed photo on Instagram. Um, you can shoot us an email. Uh, that's, those are probably the primary spots that you'd want to find me or I'd say EO, but until we're in person more, that might be a bit of a trick. Yeah, join EO. If you yep. want to meet Dan, you too can meet him. <laughs> yes, you make a major commitment. Do it now. <laughs> Do it now. <laughs> and you know, the the, uh, the light shed photo on LinkedIn is you. So it's not like yeah. you the company page. That is you. Yep. So that's that's cool. That's how you find you. Yep. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, this has been fantastic. How's it Thank back? Thank you for having me. It's, this has been fun. And I the, ca the caffeine has stayed in me the entire time. So that's all I need. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, good. We have two more hours to cover here. So it's <laughs> all right. Hold on. Let me refill. <laughs> right. Refill, recharge the light in the back. No, this has been great, man. I, I appreciate you coming in here. Um, and for those people listening, if you learn something, share this with someone else, man, I've learned something. I'm going to go check out Superhuman. We can all be superhumans together. Uh, but yeah, some really good stuff around personality and, and perfection. And just, just going for it, taking those risks. So again, Dan, thanks again, man. Cool. Thank you, sir. All right. It's been another episode. We will catch you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.